send out those going for groundwork. So groundwork is for year five and, and up, like high school age. And it's basically an introduction into youth for next year. So I think there's Josh is going to be at the back door. Josh and Charlotte are going to be taking them out today. So go enjoy. I heard there's food out there. No, no, no. Sit down, Pip. Sit down. Very good. There's, I don't know if there's Nutella, but um, we'll see how we go. Very good. Well, they're going out for groundwork, and um, we're going to uh, continue in a minute. Just one thing I need to let you know, many of you would already know, but Triple T, our triple threat. What's your middle name again? Tammy Therese Taylor. That's why she's the triple threat, the Triple T. Tammy is moving to Northern Territory with her husband, oh, everyone's sad face. Pete, as you know, serves in armed forces and he is being transferred to Catherine in the Northern Territory. So Tammy will be going, obviously, because they're married and that's what you do. And so Tammy's last Sunday, it's not a farewell Sunday, it's a sending out Sunday, is going to be Sunday the 3rd of December, so two weeks from now. And uh, we're going to celebrate her, thank her and... Um, we're excited for what God wants to do through her in Catherine, and we'll talk a little bit more about that hopefully in the coming weeks. But I just want to let you know, church, that she will be missed, but she was still... Basically, we're just extending our um, influence as a real-life church. We now have a, a, um, a, a move and a work in the Northern Territory, thanks to Tammy. So she's going there. She's being sent out as one of us. So that's happening in two weeks' time. Very good. Today I'm continuing the series on the life of David. We're up to part number 926 because it's the longest ever series. But it is also Count Me In Sunday. So we're going to incorporate the Life of David series with Count Me In and it's going to be a lot of fun. Last time we learnt about David bringing the ark into Jerusalem and he had a great celebration and a dance and he didn't care what people thought. And we learnt the lesson of living free from the fear of human opinion. Too many people live their lives trapped up in the fear of what other people think of them and they do things or they don't things all based on what people think rather than what God thinks. And so hopefully we're learning as a church to be free of human opinion. But today's message is called The Great Outdoors. The Great Outdoors. Some of you can look at that picture right there and think there is no better place I'd rather be than right now. I can see a few people nodding. Now, when you think of the great outdoors, sometimes you get a great picture in your head, and it's very picturesque, and it's very perfect, and a little bit like the next few slides. If we could have the next one, please, there, Josh. You know, it's that sort of magical moment. Next one, please. Next one, please. Does anyone like the look of these pictures so far? None of them? This is a bit more like reality. Just stop there, Josh. Just stop there. The first few were the picture in your head of when you think great outdoors, and this is probably closer to reality. You know, I saw one that the picture wasn't good enough quality where someone rigged up an air conditioner on a chair and had it pumping into their, their tent, a bit like what church camp was like last year. Because some people go camping, but they take everything from home with them, don't they? And the coffee machine and the microwave and the computer and all that, and so... I think when it comes to camping and the great outdoors that this is more my style. Next one, please. Yeah. Or the next one. Actually, this is probably the favourite one right here. Is anyone else in agreement for this or do you want to go back to the mud? Anyone want to go back to the mud? All those for the mud, say aye. 
Yes, and all those for that one right there. Next one, some of you can even ditch the tent altogether. Yeah, yeah now I've got your language. Next one, just pause right there. It, it's the great outdoors. They've got a little outdoor area. Who thinks that's camping? Anyone? Yeah, some of you. Regardless of your taste, whether you're a camper or a glamper, I've got to tell you that church camp is back next year in 2018. Next slide, please. We are not going to where we went last year. We are going somewhere new and somewhere different. We are going to Two Shores Holiday Village at the entrance north. There are cabins. There are powered sites. There are unpowered sites. There are options for you that like to camp and there are options for you that like to glamp and there are options that you like to just stay indoors. But it's from the 9th to the 11th of March next year. It is not one star like previous camps. It's about three stars. So it's kind of like in the middle of the road and hopefully there's something for you. But it's 9th to 11th of March, $50 deposit will secure your spot and we're going to have prices and registration available in the coming weeks. But I just want to let you know so you can save the date. This is a great opportunity to have a weekend away together and um, build community, have lots of fun. It's a great spot. It's on the lake. It's a five-minute walk from the beach and uh, there's a swimming pool and there's nowhere where kids can slice themselves open on oysters like last year because that was so much fun at camp, wasn't it? Not really. But anyway, camp is happening in March 9 to 11 next year, and it'd be great if you could join us for that. And some of you are thinking at this moment, what has any of this got to do with the life of David? I'm glad you asked that question, because 2 Samuel 7, verse 1 to 2 says this, When David, when King David was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. David has brought the ark into Jerusalem. He's brought it into the center of where he's going to be king from because he wants the ark, which represents God's presence, to be center of his life. But David is not comfortable that he is living in a palace, that he is living in a five-star cabin whereas the ark of the Lord is out there in a tent. And he's not happy with this situation. He thinks something needs to be done about this situation. He does not want the tent, I mean the ark, to be living in a tent any longer. Psalm 132, this is written about David. It says that he made a solemn promise to the Lord. He vowed to the mighty one of Israel, I will not go home. I will not, not let myself rest. I will not let my eyes sleep nor close my eyelids in slumber until I find a place to build a house for the Lord, a sanctuary for the mighty one of Israel. So you could say that David was keen, was interested, was passionate about finding a home for the house of God. He wasn't content for it to be in a tent any longer. Psalm 69, which is why a psalm that David wrote, it says this, Passion for your house has consumed me. You could say over the life of David that he was passionate about God's house. He was passionate about the temple of God. It says here it consumed him. Other translations say that it burned him up within him. It was something that was important to him. It was something that mattered to him. It was something that occupied his thoughts and his days. It was something that was really important to him. The temple of God, the house of God, 
You know, in this translation, it says that passion for your house is consuming. The house that they're talking about was the temple that was yet to be built, was the temple that he had in his mind, the temple that he had in his heart. But further than that, it was also meant to represent the land, the people, the kingdom, and the household of God, i.e. the nation of Israel. So it wasn't just the building, but it was also the people of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And it says that he summons the prophet Nathan. He says, Nathan, goes the man of God, he goes, this is what I want to do. It's not right that I'm here in a palace and God's house is out there in a tent. And Nathan's first response, if you read 2 Samuel chapter 7, his first response is to say, you know what? Whatever's in your heart, go and do it. That sounds like a great idea. Go ahead and do it. But then Nathan goes home that night and he has a dream. And God speaks to him in a dream. And the dream basically goes something like this. He says, Nathan, stop. You need to warn David that this is not what David is meant to do. David is a warrior. He's a fighter. He is not the one who will build this house of God. You need to tell him, to, you need to go back and say, hey, hey, this isn't for you. You need to tell him also, though, this. You need to tell David that I will always be with him. You need to tell David that I will make his name famous among the nations. You need to tell David that I will always provide for him and that I will become a home for his nation. You need to tell David that from him a dynasty of kings will come. That king after king after king will come from his line, from his heritage. You need to tell King David that he won't build the palace, I mean the temple, but that his son, one of his offspring, will be the one who builds the temple. So this is a pretty full-on dream. Nathan has just said, you can go and do what you like, and now he's got to go back to the king and say, hang on a minute, I spoke too soon because God has spoken. But Nathan goes and tells the king, tells him everything that God has said to him. And guess what? David accepts what God has said. He thanks God for the amazing things that were spoken over him, the promises that God has given him. It's a pretty amazing response when you think about it. You've got your heart set on something. You've got your, your heart and your mind and you're going to go, I'm going to build this and do this and it's for God. It's a good thing. And then God says, no, it won't be you. How would you respond? How would you respond if the dream in your heart and you thought you got the green light to go and then all of a sudden that light went, went red? And no, you can't do that. No, that's not for you. See, I think it was a good idea, but it was not God's idea. It was a good plan, but it wasn't what God had planned for David. And David knew from the previous experiences that he would much rather do God's plan for his life than just to do what a good idea was. So many times we have good ideas, but it's always important that we stop and we check and say, God, is this your idea? Is this your plan? Is this something that you want for my life? Maybe it wasn't necessarily a bad idea. Maybe it was the right idea, but just the wrong time. You ever had that? You know, this is a really good thing, but it's just not the right time to do it or the right, right person to do it. That responsibility was given to Solomon, one of David's sons who would later precede him as king. David was not called to build the temple of God. And he accepted that through this dream that God was saying, no, this is not for you. This is not your place. This is not your lane. This is not what I have put you on the planet to do. But your son will do it. See, David was not to build the temple of God, but his heart was still very much for the house of God. It was still very much in his heart. He still wanted to contribute to something that he was passionate about. I want us to read 1 Chronicles 22 and get this picture. David wants to build a temple for God. God goes, no, you cannot, but your son will do it. So how do you respond? 
this is how David responded. Verse 11. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you. This is David speaking to Solomon many years later. May the Lord be with you and give you success as you follow his directions in building the temple of the Lord your God. And may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding that you may obey the law of the Lord your God as you rule over Israel. For you will be successful if you carefully obey the decrees and regulations that the Lord gave to Israel through Moses. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or lose heart. Listen to verse 14. I love this. I have worked hard to provide materials for building the temple of the Lord. Nearly 4,000 tons of gold, 40,000 tons of silver, and so much iron and bronze that it cannot be weighed. I have also gathered timber and stone for the walls, though you may need to add more. You have a large number of skilled stonemasons and carpenters and craftsmen and electricians and plumbers and every other tradesman that you need. You have expert goldsmiths and silversmiths and workers of bronze and iron. Now begin the work and may the Lord be with you. This is an amazing little passage of scripture because it tells me that even though David knew it was not him to build the ark, he was still going to do everything he could to prepare the ark to be built. He was not going to build it in his lifetime, but he knew that the next generation would. And so he set about in his life to build, to stockpile, to put the resource together for the next generation. He knew that it wasn't his role to build the ark, I mean the temple, but he knew it was what his son would do. And so he gave his lifetime to investing into the lives that would come after him. Even though he knew he would never once set foot in that temple. He wouldn't see it in his lifetime, but it didn't stop him from investing into the generations to come. You know, I saw this quote and I love it. A society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never sit in. When you invest in something that you know you will never benefit from. When you give to something you know that you'll never be around to receive from it, but you know you're not doing it for your own benefit, but you're doing it for the generations to come. That's what David did. He had God say to him, hey, this is not for you, but it's still an amazing thing, and I'm going to do it through your son. And so David said, that's great. I'm going to do everything I can to set up the next generation for success. I'm going to do everything I can to not only give him the resource, but the instructions, the people. I'm going to set it up so that he can do it. And I really believe that's what it is to be a a person that thinks generationally. Not just thinking about you, but thinking about the generations to come. Not just thinking about your kids, but thinking about your grandkids and the great-grandkids and the ones to come after you. When it comes to the church and when it comes to the house of God, not just thinking about the here and now, but thinking long-term and thinking, what are we building? What are we putting in place for the generations that will follow after us? What am I putting in place for Judah's kids, for Lucy's kids? What am I putting in place for those that don't know Jesus yet, but that will walk in and will get to know who he is? What am I going to invest into in place there for the generations to come? See, David knew that it was not his place to build the temple, but he believed in it, so he invested into it. Why did he invest? Because passion for God's house had consumed him. Because he had a passion for God's house, he was prepared to invest in God's house, even though he would never receive any of the benefit in his lifetime. You know, over a thousand years later, Jesus is in Jerusalem and he's at the temple of all places. And something happens that Jesus does and it reminds his disciples of this scripture that Jesus, that David said about passion for God's house. Let's read it, John 2. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. 
So Jesus went to Jerusalem in the temple area. He saw merchants selling cattle, sheep and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip for some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers. Just pause for a second. All those on lockup now, I'm giving them chain, I mean a whip. And at 12.30, they're just going to chase you out of here like this right now. Just kidding. That will never happen. No, it was, it, I'm, I've realized that I've started telling way too many dad jokes. I think it's just something that happens. And, um, you know, I, I need prayer and deliverance from the dad jokes. But anyway, back focus. Then going to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Verse 17. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. Jesus, like David, was passionate about the temple of God. David was passionate about it. He invested into it. Jesus was passionate about it. He said, no, this house will not be a house of market, will not be a house of trade. Other um, translations say it says this will be a house of prayer because the house of God mattered to Jesus. It mattered to David. Later on, Jesus said these words. He said, I will build my church because Jesus was passionate about it. It was something that he gave his life to because his church, as we'll see, is not a building. It's you and I. It says that I will build my church. And in Acts 2.47, we read this, that Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. Funny about that, isn't it? That Jesus does what he said he would do. But Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You know, church, you and I are part of that. That started back then all those years ago, and it's still going today. God building his church. Jesus being passionate about the house of God. You and I are the fruit of what happened that day all those years ago, and it continues on. The word church comes from the Greek word, the Greek word, the Greek word, ecclesia. Yeah, Greek. Thanks, Rod, you Greek. Which is defined as an assembly, people that are called out. The root meaning of church is not that of a building, but of people. And so many times we get it wrong. We say come to church and we often straight in our head we think of the building. But it's so much more than the building. It's the very definition of who the church is was defined from a group of people. An assembly of people, a gathering of people. People called out not because of anything they've done, but simply because they received the goodness of God in their life. The church is the body of Christ. We know that Jesus is the head. The body of Christ is comprised of these two aspects. There's the universal church, which is anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus. You know how we say we're part of the family of God and you think that's a bit of a strange word. What does that mean? It basically means that anyone who has invited Jesus into their heart, no matter whether they live in Maitland, Mudgee, Mumbai or Manhattan, there's another M word, as long as they've called upon the name of Jesus, then they are his son or they are his daughter and they are part of the family of God. They are part of what we know as the universal church, i.e. the church of Jesus Christ on the earth. So that's the whole picture. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, Anyone who believes is part of the body of Christ and has received the Holy Spirit as evidence of that. And that is the church. But then there is the local church. The local churches are described in Galatians. When Paul wrote to the churches, he wrote to them as individual bodies. He wrote to them, it says, Here we see that the problems of Galatia, there were many churches. 
what we call local churches, a local body, a local gathering of believers. So the church is not a building and is not a denomination. According to the Bible, the church is the body of Christ, all those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. But local churches are simply gatherings of members of the whole church. So we here are the church, but we are also the local church, real life church in this place. And today is called Count Me In Sunday. It's where we pause for a moment and we talk about this local church. We talk about what it is to be part of this local church, where we're at, what we believe God wants to do in us and through us. If you are visiting today, it's great that you are here with us, but we're just going to have probably the next 10, 15 minutes talking about us as a local church. And if you want to stay, feel free. We'd love to have you join us and be part of this community. But I just want to spend a few minutes talking about us as a local church here in this place. We've been asking the question lately, who do we want to become? What kind of church do we want to be? Not so much what do we want to do, what's our next project, what's our next event, but more importantly, who do we want to become? And we've been working with the staff. We workshop these five words, which I'm going to share with you now. They're five words that say these are things that we value. They're things that are important to us. They're things that we want to be known as. We're not saying that we've arrived at these five words, but that's what we're going to be working towards And these five words will help shape and define who we are as a church. And guess what? If they don't work, if they just become words on a flyer or words on a screen, we'll change them. We're not fixed on anything. But this is just who we believe we are in this season, in this place. Anyway, here's the words. First word, we want to be a church that values innovation. We want to be prepared to try new things, new methods, new ways. We know that the gospel, the message does not change, but how we present that to the world that doesn't know him needs to change, needs to be relevant, needs to be in a way that people can understand and can be applied in their life. We don't want to stick to formulas or methods because formula and method becomes religion and we don't want that. I want us to be a church that, becomes, that doesn't become predictable. We might be reliable, but we don't want to be predictable. Isaiah 43 from the message says this. This is what God says. The God who builds a road right through the ocean, who carves a path through pounding waves. The God who summons horses and chariots and armies. They lay down and they can't get up. They've snuffed out like so many candles. This is what he says. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the broadlands. Wild animals will say, thank you. The coyotes and the buzzards, because I provided water in the desert, rivers through the sun-baked earth, drinking water for the people I chose, the people I made, especially for myself, a people custom-made to praise me. Let's be a church that is alert and present for the new. Let's not be a church that keeps talking about the good old days, or what we used to do, that's great. But let's build on the past for what God wants to do in the future. Let's not live in the past, let's build on the past. It is a new day. And we want to believe that and we want to live our life as a bunch of believers, believing that God wants to do new things. I really believe we need to keep exploring what it means to be the church. Not just come to church, but what it does it mean to be the church. What does it look like practically? 
Monday to Friday. I believe we need to be a church that has less of a focus on just Sundays and more of a focus on every day. Because the church is not just a Sunday thing, it is an everyday thing. And we need to be a church that values what you do on Monday morning, that values what you do on Thursday afternoon, that values who you are in your community, in your family and in your workplace. So we want to be innovative when it comes to that. We don't want to be stuck in a rut where we're so predictable and we've lost touch with the people that we're trying to reach. First word, we value innovation. Second word, we value freedom. We want to be a church that values freedom, that values that we are called by God. We are set apart by Him. We are free because what God has done in our lives. We are free to worship God in spirit and in truth. You know, I want to be known as a person of faith rather than a religious person. I don't want this local body to be known as a religious body. I want it to be known as people of faith, people that love God. Galatians 5.1 says this, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Let's not be a church that puts law and slavery and rules and regulations on people. Let's be a church that helps set people free. As a church, we will fight against religion. If we see religion walk through the door, we will tackle it because we will not stand for religion. Here's a sign of a religious person. Guess what? There's religion in all of us and we need to get rid of it. Sign of a religious person. You're comfortable and you're judgmental. If you've got either of those things, that's sign of religion sneaking in and let's be people that are diligent and fight against those things. We want to be a church that values freedom. Free to be the men and women God has called us to be in our communities, in our homes, in our town. Third word, we want to be a church that values acceptance. We believe that all people are loved and valued by God. We want to be a church that displays that in our actions. We want to place dignity, value and worth on all people. Romans 5.8 says this, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I'm challenged by this question. Are all people really welcome here? In my life, are all people really welcome in my world? Or have I got rules, regulations, certain things you have to do and say if you want to be part of my community? We say, come as you are in church. But do we really live that out? And I'm challenged by that as a senior pastor of this church to be a church that lets people come as they are and be loved and accepted and have value placed on them. We need to be a church that trusts the work of the Holy Spirit to change people's life. It says in the Bible that kindness leads to repentance. So we need to trust that the Holy Spirit is able to convict. The Holy Spirit is able to lead people into truth. We will want to be a church that will disciple our community. You know, discipleship in church doesn't start when someone puts their hand up in a service and go, I want to become a Christian. Great, now we can start to disciple you. No, you can start to disciple your classmate. You can start to disciple your person that you catch the bus with. You can start to disciple people in your community right now because basically it's just doing life with them. It's loving on them. It's investing into them. It's speaking into them. It's showing them the purpose and the value and the worth that they have as a human being as a child of God. We value acceptance of all people because we know that Christ accepted us. We want to be a church that reflects that. Fourth word, community. 
We want to be a church that values community. Do you know, if we accept all people, then our church community should reflect our wider community. In this room should be, if we're doing our job properly, a reflection of the Maitland and Hunter community. All races, all generations, all demographics. And I'm not saying we have to go just look for people that are different to us. But we need to be a church that accepts and welcomes all people. Do you know community is a choice? You know how before I said there's the universal church and the local church? It's a little bit like this. The universal church is like family. When you're born, you didn't get to choose to be in that family. You just, that's your brother, that's your sister. Too bad if you don't like them, they're your brother and your sister. It's like if someone becomes a Christian, you don't get to say whether they kept to be in the family. They just, God chose them, they're in the family. But a local church is a bit different because you choose to be here. If you don't like it, if you don't like it, if you don't like it, you leave. Yeah, I'm getting some letters mixed up today, Rod. A local church you choose to be a part of. A local church you say, I want to be part of that community. And you choose to belong. And you say, this is my community. And I think that when you're part of a community, you have to accept that. That not everyone in that community is the same as you. That not everyone in that community is like you. But you've all chosen to be in that community. And there's power in that when you choose to be together because you're united around something. You know, I believe in a community that is, moves beyond just being friendly. We are a friendly church, but I reckon there's a challenge for us as a church. Let's not just be friendly. Let's be people that are open and have room for new friends and relationships in our life. Because being friendly says, oh, hi, how are you? Have a quick one-minute conversation, and then you move on with your life. But being open for friendships and new relationships means that you're prepared to invite them into your world a little bit. You're prepared to let your circle of friends grow and expand. But guess what? While you do that, that's how communities grow. That's how churches grow. Churches that move beyond just being friendly to being open to new friends and new relationships, they're the communities that change a a town. They're the communities that change a region because they're prepared to let people into their world. I believe in a community full of contributors, not just consumers. When we come to this community, we don't just come to consume, we come to contribute. We come to play our part. We all have a part to play in this community, and this community is not the same without you. Fifth one, we want to be a church that values unity. What does this word mean? To me, this word means that we know we're better together when we work together, when we each play our part I don't want to lead a church that is dependent on me. I don't want to lead a church that's dependent on the senior pastor because that church would suck. Let's just be honest. If a church is dependent on one person, it's not a powerful church in any way. But a church that is dependent on all the believers gathered together saying, I'm going to contribute with my part. I'm going to do my bit. Then that is a healthy church. That's a community that I want to be a part of. I don't want to pastor a church that's dependent on me because as I've said that would not be a good place to be. I want to be part of a church that values delegated authority. Team leaders, people that are on staff, people that have been given a role, they're they're acting on behalf of the community. They're not doing it because they love the power or they love the authority. They're doing it because they want to contribute to this community, to this place. Do you know, 
I, I believe we need to be a church that values team, that values delegated authority. We need to be a church that doesn't wait for me to come and ask you to be involved, but just goes, no, I want to be involved regardless. And it doesn't matter who asks me, I'm just going to say yes. I don't need to have a conversation with the senior pastor to feel like I'm important or that I can contribute here, but I can just contribute and be because I'm part of this community. Let's not, don't, if you're waiting for me, you're going to be waiting for a while. But what I have done is ask team and ask leaders to head up areas of responsibility and they might come and talk to you and say, hey, would you like to contribute in this area? You don't need me to have that conversation with you. I've just empowered people to have that conversation on behalf of the community. Let's be a church that values community, unity, working together. The five words, we value innovation, we value freedom, we value acceptance, we value community, and we value unity. Now, who knows that 10 minutes of talking about them does not make us a church that has those five things. But we as a church leadership team are going to be committed to everything that we do, everything that we say, reflecting those values. And let those values shape us and define us to be the church that I believe God wants us to be in this community. Some more things, some practical stuff. You're hanging in there? A lot of information. I'm talking quick, aren't I, Pip? All right. That's all right. Awkward laughs are fine. It's all good in this community. Okay, name change. Who got your attention? Part of the new season at some stage will be a change in our name. I don't know when and I don't know what we're going to change it to. But I just sense that part of this new thing, I will have a name that reflects who we are becoming. We will have a name that reflects who we are as a church. Now, some of you who love change, that's not enough. You want the new name right now and you're disappointed that I haven't announced it here and now. And for those of you that really struggle with change, you're still shaking in your boots because change is coming and you, that's too soon. But we're not doing it for the sake of it. We're not doing it to be trendy or to be cool. We just feel that it's part of our change and who we're becoming and what God wants to define us as a church. So we're just trying to be open and obedient as we feel led by the Holy Spirit. We'll announce it when we know it. We don't know it right now. A few other things. Yeah, unknown church at the moment, right? That's it. Uh, one suggestion was unreal life church instead of real life church, but that's probably not going to fly. No. Our gatherings. We gather together as a church. Weekly Sunday worship service, 10 a.m., i.e. where we are right now. This will continue as it is in next year. By the way, 2017 so far, as far as attendance goes, we've grown by 11%. As far as giving goes, we've grown by 35%, which is pretty amazing. I don't know if you caught that, but 11% more people, but 35% more giving, which is an amazing generosity church, amazing faithfulness, which is awesome. Next year, we'll continue our PM gatherings. Oh, actually, before we go to PM, what we are, one small change for next year. A lot of information, but every second month, so bi-monthly, this 10 a.m. service will finish at 11 a.m. And then we will set the table in our foyer and we will have lunch together. So every two months we're going to have the old thing, church lunch. We'll call it the table. Basically, we'll set the table. We'll invite you to stay. We're not tagging it on as the extra thing, but we're saying, no, this is going to be part of our, our gathering that day. Is going to be this for an hour 
but then out there having lunch together and doing community together. So that'll be every two months, something called The Table. Our PM service, or our PM gathering, will be once a month, last Sunday of the month, and one month it'll be a worship service, praise, worship, preaching, all those different components that are in what we do now. But on the other month, it'll be out there in the foyer, and the table will be set, and we'll have dinner together. And what we're going to do there is have small talk, but dinner and conversation will be the focus of that PM gathering. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to get really, really big next year because we're going to be eating a lot more food in our gatherings together. But that's going to be PM once a month, last Sunday of the month. One time it'll be a service and another time it'll be the table. Okay, keep moving. Life groups will continue next year. We gathered our life group leaders on Wednesday night. They do a great job at connecting midweek about building community. They'll continue one new group that we're going to add next year. It's actually not one A group, but lots of groups. You all have permission to start these groups, and they are connect groups. They are where you say, we don't have a leader, but three or four of us are going to commit to each other to being part of a group, and we're going to meet for just one hour, and we're going to talk for a little few, 15, 20 minutes, see what's going on in our world. Then we're going to share what we're learning, what God's speaking to us, what we might be reading in our Bible. So we'll hold each other accountable for actually reading this book and saying, this is what God is saying to me in my weekly walk. And then we'll say, what can we pray for you for each other? And it'll be done over in an hour. But it'll encourage connection. It'll encourage accountability. And encourage you to grow together as followers of Jesus Christ. And you don't need to wait for a leader to say, hey, I'll invite you to join my life group. You, if you know two or three other people, could say, hey, we could do that. We could hold each other accountable. We could encourage one another. We could build each other up. We could start our own connect group. So they'll, they'll be getting rolled out next year. Okay, real care. This is our local um, care arm of our church. We're going to continue with the following. The welcome place. The welcome place is our heart to open up this building and say we want to have this building open for our community. And on Wednesday, I was here and we had... So many different people. We had a group of people in, this wasn't for the welcome place, but they were in that room there, through that glass, whatever that one's called. And they were refugees learning English in our building. A, a local provider basically hires out the room to teach them English. While that was going on, in our place where we were having afternoon tea, we had, I spoke to one guy, hard, hard life. Drugs had just destroyed his life, his relationships. But he was talking about just wanting to get life back together again. We had a lady from South Sudan who now calls Australia home, lives in the Maitland area, and she was just here for connection. We had other people walk in, some a little bit what you might call strange, a little bit out there. We had, on the day that the, um, the yes vote was announced, we had a, man, a, a gay man in this building, feeling at home, feeling comfortable, because I want this church to be a church that doesn't matter what you believe, what you think where you're from what you've done you still feel comfortable in this place you still feel accepted in this place we accept you as a person regardless of your belief regardless if we disagree with what you think but we just want to be a church that reflects that and I love that on Wednesday we had 10 or so people here not a huge crowd but all of them felt safe and comfortable to be in this place to be themselves to talk there were some interesting conversations going on on Wednesday 
But I love that that was what this church was being used for on a Wednesday in the welcome place. The, the food bank will continue. We still want to build our shower facility, computers for people to use, our free food parcels. We'll do city serve again next year. We helped Aussie helpers, which was groceries to local, I mean to rural Australia. Farmers doing it tough. Christmas Day lunch here at the church. Is it sold out yet, Gaz? 70 names so far. People that will come here on Christmas Day and have lunch together. This year we're also doing something where 25 families will receive a Christmas lunch pack. And they can't get here on Sunday, so the pack will go to them, enabling them to have Christmas Day lunch in their home that will be provided for by us as the church. So that's going to 25 different families this year. So Real Care will continue to do those things. So far this year, just over 21,000 has been donated to Real Care, which is amazing, church. Thank you again for your generosity in that. Keep moving. Vision. These are things that go beyond the care arm of our church, but they include scripture locally, Youth Alive, which is across our state, but we invested into our local Youth Alive event. Um, Gangala, which is Willie Dumas's outreach to Arnhem Land. Compassion, which is Indonesia. Liberty People, which is Vanuatu and the Philippines. And Share and Serve, which is the people we partner with in India who do church planning there. We as a church will continue to give to those things. And so far this year, we've given 5,300 towards vision this year. So well done, church, for that. We're still a few more things we want to do between now and Christmas to uh, invest into those different things. Next year, there's an opportunity to go on three different teams, three short-term trips if you're interested when it comes to missions trips. You can come to India and Indonesia on a ministry team in March. You can go to Vanuatu on a building team in June. Or you can go to Arnhem Land in July with Willie Dumas and his team for a ministry team. There's three opportunities for you to be involved. So if you want to know more about that, come and see me or Gary after the service. Our building, what we're in right now. Let's put the next slide up. To be honest, church, our building is a challenge. Our building is a, um, a big challenge. Give you the numbers. So far, we've paid $76,000 towards our mortgage this year. And we've received just over 40,000 in donations towards our building, which is amazing generosity. But it also you can see that we've had to contribute $35,000 out of operations into our mortgage. Obviously, we would love to close that gap so that what's donated to the building and what the building costs is a smaller gap so that there's less to contribute out of operations. What were we doing about it? Our mortgage broker found us a lender willing to give us money, which is unbelievable. But thank you, Jesus. We were talking to our mortgage broker this week and we hoped within a day or two to be able to have an answer. Yes, we will have the money. Refinancing will reduce our payments, but it will also give us money to fix our roof and our air conditioner. It will give us the money to build the shower facility, to provide a permanent space for our food bank. And as of 1st of January next year, the building fund will be tax deductible again, which will help us in attracting giving. Previously, the tax deductibility was around our college, which doesn't operate anymore, but now the tax deductibility will be around it being a community space. So we're able to provide that for you. But I just want to say this, church, even with these things in place, we need to increase our giving to the building fund. I believe our building fund is about being a good steward of what God has already given us. And God has given us a great facility and being a good steward over it means that we will invest into it. We will do what David did. 
we will believe in something enough to invest into it for future generations. And it's very easy when you're already in the building to think that there's no need. But we actually have a huge challenge to keep this building paid off so that we can keep it in our ownership. And what I'm asking, and I'm going to be very just straight to it, I'm asking that all of us would either start giving to the building or would increase our giving to the building so that we can meet this need and that we can be a good steward of what God has given us. I'm going to pray, but you can pray about what to give. You might not be able to give now, but you might want to give in 2018 or in the future. But we do need to consider it and say this is important. If we want to keep going forward as a church, then the building is something we cannot let become a deterrent to what God wants to do in us and through us. That's our building. All right, I'm going to wrap this up because it's 11.30. Count me in Sundays today. It involves me letting you know where we are as a local church. Hopefully now, after all those words, you know where we are at, what we're doing, what we feel God's saying, but it also involves you having an opportunity to contribute to this community. And you can contribute financially and you can contribute with your time and your gifts and your abilities. I'm going to ask the creative team to come back up. In a moment, we're going to wrap up our service. And on your seats today, there is the bigger card. Count me in. That's a way where you can financially contribute to the church, to building, to vision and to real care. You can give today. You can commit to a monthly giving. You can commit to a one-off gift in the future. But it's you saying, no, count me in. I want to contribute to this community and I can do it financially. So that's what you use that card for. If you're unsure, you can come and see us afterwards and we can help you fill it out. But in a moment, we're going to receive an offering and it's our count me in offering. If you don't care where it goes, just put it in and it'll be allocated to where it's needed most, i.e. the building. But if you want it to go to real care or you want it to go to vision, then you need a market on the giving envelope or on the card. The other way we can contribute is by being involved. And out in the foyer after the service today, we'll have a table set up with our team who can help you and say, hey, there's many areas where you can be involved in helping contribute in the life of our church. Some of the areas, and I know every area would love more people involved, but kids, in particular our primary and our preschool age program, we'd love to have more team involved in there. Cafe, not just coffee, but as you've heard, there's lots of plans for food next year. That's going to require team. Media and sound, the unseen people at the back of the auditorium, but if they weren't there, things would fall apart. We need more people in those areas. Maintenance, a whole range of things on here. Obviously, with the Triple T leaving, there's going to be a big gap when it comes to connections. So there's many and lots of opportunities to be involved. And my prayer is simply this, that you would say, this is my community and I want to be a contributor. I want to contribute financially and I want to contribute with my time and my gifts and my abilities. And you'd say, no, this is my home. This is my church and I'm not going to let it go down on my watch and I'm going to do my part to invest into the generations to come not just for now and today but for what God wants to do in the future in this house and like David and like Jesus that the house of God that the people of God 
would matter enough that we would do something about it. That it wouldn't just be, oh, that's someone else's problem or that's someone else's issue or, gee, the leadership team have got a few challenges ahead. But we go, no, this is my church. This is my local community that I choose to be a part of and I want to invest into it with my time and with my resources. Can we stand, church? What I want to do is I'm going to pray over our church and then I'm going to ask the team just to send the buckets along and then Pip's going to come and wrap the service up. Thank you for your understanding with being a little bit over time, but I just felt it was important that we all know where we are at as a church and we can be united as one for what God wants to do in us and through us. So let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your church. We thank you, Jesus, that you came so that we can have life we can have life to the full. We thank you that we are part of something so much bigger than ourselves. We are part of your church across the globe today. The church that lifts up your name. The church that worships you, Jesus. But Lord God, right now in this time, we pray for our church here in Maitland. For real life church. We thank you, Lord God, for where it has been. We thank you for the start. We thank you for the first 13 years. But Lord, we thank you, Lord, for today. And from the days to come, Lord God, we thank you for what you want to do in us and through us, Lord God. We thank you for the people that you want to reach. We thank you, Lord God, for the lives that you want to change. And God, we thank you, Lord God, that your church is in your hands. And we ask, Lord God, for your wisdom, for your favor, and for your direction as us as a church, as we step into all that you have for us, Lord God. God, today we say, count me in. We want to be part of what you are doing here in the life of this church. And we will play our part to do what we can. And God, we thank you, God, that you are building your church. We thank you for the privilege it is to be a part of it, to connect with it, and to be involved. God, we commit this giving to you. And we thank you, Jesus, for meeting all of our needs. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can stay standing and we're going to pass those buckets along. And I'll let you, Pip, come and wrap up this service.